Um, hi everyone, welcome to Area of Expertise. Uh, today we're going to be talking about student directing with Lucy Hall, who's directing Kings Charles III. Oh yeah. And Henry Convert, who's directing Macbeth. Hello there. So... <laughs> Do you know what Kenobi? There it is. <gasps> oh my god, sorry, I've got a text from one of my cast members, which is like, yes, you are now. Thanks, Reeves. Okay. Cheers, Reeves. Thank you. Hello. Um, well, I thought we'd start off, kind of jump straight into the middle of it, so do you want to give us a short introduction of the play you're directing? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, so I am directing our production of King Charles III at the King's Players. Um, it's pretty much, it's what we like to call a future history play, and we like to call it that because that's what it is. It's, it's Mike Bartlett's play and he imagines what, would ha what might happen if Prince Charles became king, and he's quite a thinker. He has a lot of thinking, and, sorry, and not much action. Um, and so we've got a lovely cast of, I think, five real-life figures, including Charles, Harry, Wills, Kate, and Camilla, but no Meghan Markle, because this takes place about two years before Meghan Markle, but Harry still falls in love with a commoner during the play. A Republican at that. Wow. Mm. And also it's all about the Bill of Privacy and everything. It's right. pretty applicable. Thank you. And Henry? So, um, there was this guy um, a long time ago, uh, a writer called William Shakespeare, and he wrote many plays. Uh, and one of, one of them was, uh, was, was, was called Macbeth, which is a Scottish tragedy, and, and I, I'll be directing Macbeth, a Scottish tragedy. Um, sans the Scottish um, aspect of the play, um, so so it's a play that needs very little introduction, um, and it's one that I have had a hard time introducing because it's it's one of many many layers. But but the ones we're honing in on are those of fate and love and and aberration and and a look into how we control our own fate versus how fate is determined for us. So why is that the play you chose? Uh, I chose I chose Macbeth because uh, it's it's one that's has always stood out to me. It's got it's got some ridiculously good speeches from very minor characters. Uh, there's there's a character at the end at, at the very beginning of the play called Dying Sergeant, uh, who who has some of the most beautiful lines of Shakespeare I've ever heard. Alright. Thank you. And Lucy, why did you choose King Charles III? Um, I chose it because it's just... So I never actually watched it in its original run of the Almeida Theatre um, with the late, great Tim Pigott-Smith. Um, but I did catch up and I watched... No, I read it. And I thought this is really, really good shit. I mean, stuff. Good stuff. Sorry. Um, and so, you know, I read it. And then I watched the TV movie, which is not quite as good. So maybe avoid that, come see our play instead. Um, but I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> We've got amazing speeches. You've got Charles's amazing monologue soliloquies. You've got the characters. Oh, it's just poetic. It's beautiful. It's all in iambic pentameter, actually. It's really Shakespearean. Unfortunately, we do have some very strange lines in there, including a rather particularly good one from Prince Harry, where he turns to Jess, uh, who he falls in love with, and he says, uh, you're beautiful and I want to run away with you. And Jess says, but I'm a Republican. And Harry replies, I know, but you're beautiful. That's, that's a pretty good gem in there. I enjoy that one. And that's how I feel about Donald Trump. 
How could we resist? Um, what is your favourite part of directing so far? I mean, we're quite close to the play now with Macbeth. It's uh, next week. Anyone wants to come see it, hopefully? <laughs> Not to plug it. So <laughs> what's the part you've enjoyed the most? Um, I think for me, uh, I, have an, I have a background in acting. I've, I've acted since I was 17 and have loved the exploration of character and the getting to know the lines and the dialogue and the language of, of each play. So for me it's been um, connecting with the actors and, and together like exploring ways to make the scene work and, and ways ways to make the scene create a feeling and, and and for me that feeling's just been manifesting itself as like a big old um, shit eating grin. Um, sorry Faisal. Um, Big shout out to Serena and Faisal, uh, who are playing Lady and Macbeth. So for me, it's been just getting getting to know the work, like alongside the actors, and I've been loving that. How about you? Um, I've loved uh, directing it. It's my first time directing a big project. I did a very small bit of directing for a project called Fragments, which is a co-production with the Greek play. And we did this year, and it was based on Dionysus. And I got to write and direct a small piece, mm. and. Um, I always, I love coming up with ideas, and I always, ever since I was in my first couple of productions, because like Henry, I do a lot of, I used to do a lot of acting, um, I used to give my other actors notes, which is a bit of, pretty, pretty, bit of a dick move, really, but, <laughs> um, and then I realised, hmm, I'm quite good at this. Um, so um, I decided to, this play, I loved it so much, and I thought, I know exactly how I would stage it, and go on, and that's pitch that and I think the thing I've loved most about it is it's turned into a really collaborative process like I bring in the actors and I say okay how did that feel feel to you did it feel like it was a natural point to stand up for example because um, standing up and sitting down is a very tough thing to organize um, and so I said you know find the natural point when you feel as your character speaking how you do it and then we try it where the other day we did one of our scenes between uh, Chris who plays Evans Prime Minister Connor who plays Charles and I was sitting in the corner and we all came up with ideas of when we thought Connor should stand up and so we tried all three of them and we found like a, a moment in the middle so it has ended up being way more collaborative and less dictated director than I thought it would end up being. <laughs> you both uh, mentioned you have some background in acting, how important do you think that's been to being a director and how do you think it's influenced it? Um, I think it's actually really important because I think the best directors understand how tough it is being an actor and having to start off the process with a script in hand and you know you you can't do as many actions you want because you've got the script in front of you and then you understand how much easier and how much better you feel in the role once you've got the script off hand you also understand kind of the demands that a director can be you know what makes a good one to work with and what makes a bad director to work with because you know you've got the goodies and the baddies as everyone has had in all the productions they've done yeah, yeah uh, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think, I think having, uh, having acted before it's taught me that um, you know, the, best, the best possible way to, to get to know the character, the scene, the action is to just get those lines into your head and into your, you know, your, your person as soon as possible. Um, and so, and so, uh, that's that's sort of that's sort of given me um, the the ability to be a bit harsh um, <laughs> with with actors and lines and and 
like a lot of it, especially um, at this level, it's it's about having fun and and exploring and laughing a lot, even if it's Macbeth. Um, um, Always a cheery one. <laughs> naturally, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Is there any part of the directing process that you didn't really consider when you started or you didn't think would be a big part, but actually you found it's really important? Organising the band's schedules. Because <laughs> I decided to do it myself and that was a, that was a poor idea because I've suddenly got to keep on top of where everyone is at what time. Yeah, scheduling, um, props, costume, um, you know, room bookings, that, that sort of organisational stuff. Uh, it's a bit of a, it's a little, a little challenging for for me. Uh, I have ADHD, so it's 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 always a challenge to think ahead and do ahead and act ahead, and and it can be a little overwhelming at times. But then it's all sort of worth it when when you get these moments of connection with the actors and and the, the work. Right. Um, is there something you think makes or breaks a show? Makes or breaks a show. I think a, a big show breaker would be if the venue was shut down due to coronavirus. Yes, that would be awful and just know that if I get the keys to the building that ain't gonna stop me. <laughs> <laughs> Principal Burns, if you're listening, please let us have our show. Indeed. Indeed. Don't, no. s- don't set the dogs on us. <laughs> no, I think there is, there's other aspects apart from, you know, global pandemics. <laughs> I think definitely what makes the show is the actors and their eagerness to come along to the do it and it's just incredible because <laughs> every single one of them they're all just like they're like so excited to be there and it's amazing and you can just tell like as long as everyone's having fun with it I think that's what really makes a show you can tell the energy's there you need yeah. like musical level energy you know a stage musical level energy for the most serious play on the oh, planet. Yeah. Oh yeah, you gotta have you gotta have just an unadulterated sense of silliness. Mm. Um, you know, it sounds like we're both doing quite serious shows. Yeah. And and what's really useful in that is just to be able to laugh at it. Um, otherwise, it gets a bit heavy. I just came from a a rehearsal with um, with the two principal actors, and we got real heavy for about an hour, um, just talking about psych this this the psychology behind their actions uh, in the play and that got real heavy and then we could just have a little laugh about it to, to dilute from that. We've been using the Windsors, that show, about the parody of the royal family and people have started doing impressions during <laughs> it to really break the tension. That's good. <laughs> Do you have a favourite scene in the play and why is it your favourite scene? I think I've got two favourite scenes, I think. I really like scene 3.6 which is the scene right before act three where it's a scene that takes place in parliament and i don't want to give any spoilers but something big happens and it's just the most dramatic entrance and i think we've blocked it really well i think you might have to be a bit more descriptive than that. is that yeah. the bit where queen elizabeth dies no she dies in the beginning um, <laughs> it's all right she's already dead longer. so at the beginning of parliament so they're having it's literally takes place in the house of commons and uh Charles storms it and he makes this, he basically just brings the house down, it's amazing. Um, and Connor just has the most authority I've ever seen in anyone looking over things. Also he knows a ridiculous amount about how the king should enter the House of Commons. He says, oh he should enter from this side because he needs to go here and here. And it's 
kind of weird. Um, but I also really like towards the end of the play there's a huge argument and everyone speaks very calmly and it's quite held back because the royal family are very reserved in the way they speak and act and they kind of you can tell they're definitely restraining emotions and then we get this play right towards the end where everything just explodes and we have uh, Charles and William having a nice little argument and it's just beautiful to watch the two shout at each other after so long of this repressed silence <laughs> I think it's a tricky question um, favorite scene um, but but I think uh, I think the most rewarding scene uh, so far um, and, and also the most challenging scene uh, is is this sort of it's a bit of a monster it's I've I've done a lot of slashing of, of dialogue um, I got I got the the, the script down to about 80 pages um, and yet there's one scene that I felt I couldn't cut too much and, and it still remains at 10 pages which is which is like insanely long compared to all the other scenes but it's but it's this one of of Malcolm the the previous king Duncan's son um, who, who Macbeth kindly murdered um, and and Macduff who who is this sort of uh, pragmatic truth seeker coming together and talking about um, the future of Scotland uh, and, and the tyranny of Macbeth and this scene starts as, as one that's sort of light-hearted and fun and, and then a piece of news is delivered and it becomes sort of one of the most tragic moments uh, that, that, that one could think of um, and, and just sort of mediating that the, the, um, the banterous beginning into the, the really tragic important uh, moment at, at, at like the seventh page has been a lot of fun and I think it will be good to watch. Right. Um, you decided to do quite an abstract rendition of the play. Why have you decided to do that? In what ways do you think it adds, I suppose? I think I've gone for this ab abstract thing um, out of pragmatism. You know, it's it's quite a limited budget. It's it's it will be inside a lecture theatre. I think uh, to for me to uh, decide. You know what? No, I'm going to set this in um, ancient Scotland. Uh, it would be would be a bit loony um, with the limited resources and and additionally uh, there became like this justification in my head for it which was which was that um, here's this piece that's been repeated for centuries uh, and I'm pretty sure you know since since it's it's um, it's nascence um, Tricky thing to say. Um, <laughs> since it's <laughs> since since its first its first performance, um, you know, there's probably been a few a handful of years where it hasn't been on the stage. To add anything to it is is a pretty tall task. Um, so the the thing we're trying to add is is just to remain part of the the sort of almost infinite story that is Macbeth, and and so there's this aspect of it being self-contained and um, a continuance of, of the other performances. And so it's a more pared back version visually, but it's, it's there in heart. And um, I've read your play, Lucy, and 
You held his auditions. I you're did. actually in with both of us, I noticed, because you're the assistant director for Macbeth, and you did all of my auditions yeah, with me. Curtains up, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, 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 don't play coy. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I maybe know what your play's about, and of course, it's quite a few parts of it are actually based off Macbeth. Yes, we. Uh, it's really Shakespearean. I think Mike Bart was really. He honestly was almost copying Shakespeare at this point because it's such a Shakespearean play. The dialogue, the language. I mean. It's got things like helicopter, but placed in Twitter, and like pentameter, and I'm just always amazed by it. But we have the ghost of Lady Diana, Princess Diana. Um, people's Princess. The People's Princess. And we've had to... <laughs> we also have sort of a, a newspaper woman who's also playing our ghost. Standard. She is. She's Evening Standard Seller. And Get your standard. Indeed. <laughs> she sort of narrates all the action that's happened during the interval yeah. that the audience have missed. So like a couple of weeks passing, it's a really beautiful little monologue with a lot of free standard, free standard. Well, what do you think, since you haven't really read Macbeth, what do you think of Shakespearean adaptations in general, whether they be more or less loose? Um, I like a good Shakespearean adaption. Some of them have definitely been adapted more than others, and I'm not going to drop any names. <coughs> Hamlet. Um, <laughs> Hamlet, for those at home, is what Lucy said. Yes, Hamlet, Hamlet needs to stop. We had a lion version, and that was the extent. We had two lion versions, because they remade the lion version of Hamlet. Whatever. Um, <laughs> cats, you mean? Uh, almost, I think, maybe. Cats? Cats? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the CGI levels were roughly the same. Do you have a favourite line in the play? The one that stands out to me is probably uh, my life has been a lingering for the throne. It always sticks in my head because Charles is just such a pensive little fellow. Tall fellow in this one. Um, <laughs> he's, so, he's so pensive, he spends his time and he's really, he has a bit of an existential crisis when he gets to the throne because he suddenly realised, wait, I don't actually know what I'm meant to be doing as king, but I want to be different to people I came before, but also I don't want to be a tyrant. And sometimes those ideas just they don't they don't work together, which is what we see unfold. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And I hope I gave that line justice, um, being the idiot telling the line. Um, but that's that's one of my favourites in the play. I think it's gorgeous and the whole the whole speech, the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, the rhythms and the, the meaning and the sort of the depths of despair that, that are conjured by it is just, just really cool to use an idiotic word. <laughs> Alright, um, we're going to have a little music intermission so wow. Lucy, is there one song that you think represents the play quite well? See, the only thing that's going through my head now is the Me Channel theme tune, but that's definitely not it. <laughs> no, I would say... No, I think the song that I definitely picture that isn't Zadok the Priest uh, would have to be Après un rêve by Gabriel Faure. One of my favourite songs. Um, and I first heard it because they did play it at Harry and Meghan's wedding. But it is just... I think it just quite captures the sort of sadness and melancholy of the play and it's it's dramatic and beautiful. All right, well here it is, Après un rêve by Gabriel Fauré. Or it would have been, but we don't have the rights to this song. It's basically some operatic singing that you can find on YouTube. Back to the show. Okay, we're gonna have 
three would you rather questions before we go back to the expertise ones. Um, there's this magical list called the only list of would you rather questions you'll need. Would you rather never get angry or never be envious? Uh, well, envy is one of my major faults, but so is anger. So um, she is a I would rather never be envious, I think. I'm pretty happy being angry at people all the time. I really, really like being angry sometimes. It's it's a lot of fun, and it's I don't. Yeah, it's so. Rah, yeah, uh, that's that's why I get angry. I just go rah. I do the silent anger, so I kind of just go like, hmm, yes, hmm, hmm, hmm. Like oh, that's, that's how you feel, is it? Okay, yeah. Mm, uh, I understand uh, your point. Yeah. Prior to my previous email. <laughs> <laughs> whereas, whereas I don't think I've ever enjoyed being envious. Whereas you know, that's awful. You can enjoy moments of anger, but but uh, but moments of. Oh, I wish I was you. Uh, or it's sad as be like, fun. oh, I wish I was doing that. Yeah. It's sad. FOMO. Oh, FOMO. I really suffer from FOMO. It's Sorry awful. to hear. Yeah, it's, it's not fun. Would you rather live under a sky with no stars at night or live under a sky with no clouds during the day? I see we're getting to the deep question. <laughs> oh, give me no clouds. I burn like a lobster. I burn so badly, but to be honest, I don't think I could live with a sky without stars. I love a good star. Well, not in a world well, without a sky full of stars, we would have missed out on that Coldplay song. Yeah, I was, I was going to see how long it would take you to reference the Coldplay song. I'm always referencing the Coldplay song, Sky Full of Stars. Um, <coughs> and so for that reason, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the sky full of stars forever, please. All right. And finally, this question is actually um, from a philosophy module I took, and it is, would you rather live your entire life in a virtual reality where all your wishes are granted or just in the normal real world? Real world, I think. There's no fun without hardship. The question from the philosophy module was, you plug into a virtual reality machine and you've programmed it to give you exactly the life you want, and you can therefore when you're in the virtual reality machine, you don't remember you're in the virtual reality machine. So the question, so matrix, the question remains, maybe this is the virtual reality machine in which we're getting everything we wanted. And if it is, then please, coronavirus, don't cancel the damn place. But maybe you program the coronavirus to do that because it would ultimately lead to something better. Can you come out of the virtual? Like, can you unplug yourself and you go back to reality every so often? Because I feel like you need a dose of reality every so often. Um, no, I think it's... So it's a either. permanent life in a perfect life with no hardships? Well, it's how you've programmed it. So if you think that your virtual life would be better if you did have some hardships, no pleasure without pain, you could still program hardships. It's your ideal life. That's fair. I mean, I'd probably go for that. But I do like... I don't like the idea... It would be like living in a computer game or something, you know, where you don't feel a lot. I think um, I think I think I'd go for real life, I, I, and if uh, especially if answering this question gave me a definitive answer to the question is, of uh, is this the real life or is it just fantasy? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, no, but I think I think just knowing, hey, this is the real life that I've chosen would be a lot more pleasurable than being like, oh, is this the real life? I don't have a clue. Which you know. If you think too deep sometimes that that might happen. Do you want to choose a song that you think would represent Macbeth? Yeah, so the song that I, uh, I I've been thinking about a lot. There's a line in um, in in the 
play, uh, which is like stars, hide your fires. Um, these are my desires. And I was like, well, that sounds, that sounds familiar. And I keep on thinking about it. And it's, it's roll away your stone by Mumford and Sons. Um, and you know, I haven't particularly listened to it recently, but it's definitely been in the back of my head every time I heard that line. So that's, that's the one. All right, here it is, Rolling Away Your Stone by Mumford and Son. If only, but alas, again, no rights. It goes a bit like this. Stars hide your fires. It's also on YouTube. Back to the show. Now we have a filler question. Who would you dine with from your cast? Characters, not people. Probably Charles, I think. For me, I, I kind of want to stay away from from these uh, these barbaric um, kings and murderers and queens and. So people. that rules out all the characters. Yeah, I think I'd I think I'd I think I'd rather have a have a nice little. Um, I think you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna answer the question about Charles the Third, and that would probably be Prince Harry. That's Ooh, fair. Prince Harry's good in this actually. He's got a good character. He's. Also changed it up a little bit from the original text. Sorry, I mean Harry. Who? Just Harry. Just, just Harry. They're pals now. But I'm just Harry. I mean, that's an awful discredit to the young fry of treachery, who is my personal favourite character, and that's definitely who I dine with. He's got lovely, witty lines. Um, had he grown up to be an adult, I'm sure we'd have gotten on like a house on fire. For those at home, um, Henry's not staring back at him. It's a lot of tension. Mr. Dagger, I see before me. Who? Sun. Oh, oh, yeah, Sun. The fly of treachery. Is that what you Fry. Said? Fry of treachery. Yeah, I heard that's... Fryer. Fry like of... Fryer Tuck. Fry no, of he's, he's an egg, so no, I imagine. The sun, the sun is a, a tasty little omelette. Big shout out to eggs. Come on, All eggs. Right. Let's do this. Eggs. Um, and forgetting the drama for a second, who would you dine with, dead or alive? Not in the cast. I'm going to go with. Um, my favourite writer, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., um, who just, he was, he was, I, I think when he died, he was the president of the Humanist Society. His his works are beautiful and funny and interesting and uh, just really important. And I think everyone should read Kurt Vonnegut. Um, and I, I think he'd, he'd be a wonderful person to dine with. And how about you? Um, well, I've been getting a lot into old Hollywood lately. I was rewatching, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Sabrina, Roman Holiday. So Audrey Hepburn, I think, not only because she's a phenomenal actress and she's just a ballet dancer, beautiful all-round human being, but also she did a lot of humanist work. And I'd be intrigued to discuss that. She did a lot of work with uh, UNICEF, with Africa and Mini. So she'd be a really cool person to sit down with, I reckon. All right, well, cool. we've got a few minutes left. Is Can there we? anything you'd like to add? or? Um, no. Should we answer some questions? Because we've had some... Uh, I had a message from the King's group chat um, because we did ask, you know, we're running out of things to say. Um, Reese has asked, can you hear the delay on the sound? It's no. echoing like three seconds late. We cannot. Hi, Reese. Hi, Reese. Oh. Hi, Reese. Reese plays our mm. Prince William. Hi, Reese. Um, hopefully that stopped, and if it hasn't, then... Bye, Reese. Just know we know the future. That that was a great question. Um, what's Reese? Um, hi. <laughs> uh, we haven't met. Let's keep it. 
<laughs> All right, he's also asked, just so you get a kind of okay, picture. Thanks, thanks Reese. Who has the biggest ears, Connor or me? I don't know. Ah. Oh, was it? Weirdly, I think Reese actually does have the bigger ears. Connor, he grows into teat ears. Sorry, Connor. No, no, it's probably better that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Reese. <laughs> anyway, um. I'm going to wrap it up. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. Thank you. Thank you. Really good. And hopefully I will be able to edit this into a podcast form, but I haven't done it before, so. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. (laughs) No, no. Otherwise, if you listened, you're the only one. (laughs) Is that your sign out every episode? (laughs) (laughs) Please be. Please be. It's about the shipping forecast. I think it will be if I can't make a podcast. You're the only one. You're the only one. That's so horrific. Right, well, this has been Area of Expertise with Lucy Hall, director of King Charles III, Henry Convert, director of the upcoming production of Macbeth. Hi, Reese. And <coughs> me, um, assistant director of Macbeth, consultant, producer, no, consultant, creative consultant. creative consultant. We gave you a glorified name. All right, of um, <laughs> King Charles III and show presenter. Thanks for joining us. We'll be here probably next week. And yeah. Um bye. Do you do